All right. Welcome to the Theory of Anything podcast. Uh, I'm Bruce Nielsen. Cameo, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Bruce. I'm Cameo Duran. And we have with us today, um, Julene Nielsen, who's my wife. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Welcome. Thank you. So it's interesting how we came up with the subject for um, this, this episode. So as people who listen to the podcast know, I'm into Karl Popper and also David Deutsch, and I, I particularly, I love David Deutsch's four strands, which are what he says the four main theories of science are, um, you know, many worlds, quantum physics, um, uh, Karl Popper's theory of knowledge, computational theory, and um, evolutionary, biological evolutionary theory. And uh, so he has this thing that he talks about sometimes called the fun criteria, and I never really understood what it was, and I didn't, I wasn't very interested in it. Um, it it's, and I'm not going to try to explain it in depth because honestly, I'm still not sure I understand it. But it's this idea that there's explicit and inexplicit um, ideas in your mind, and that when you're having fun, that's a sign that the different ideas are not in conflict because good ideas shouldn't be in conflict with other good ideas. Therefore, fun is an epistemological criteria in David Deutsch's mind. And I've kind of struggled with that for a number of reasons to make sense of it. But my wife happened to be looking at a program totally unrelated to any of this. And it was called Intuitive Eating. And, and there's a book that she was reading on it. It's the book is called Intuitive Eating, A Revolutionary Approach That Works by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. She started to describe it to me and I suddenly realized, wow, this is exactly what David Deutsch was talking about with the fun criteria. This, this, is, this is a very strong example that really helped me understand, okay, now I think I get kind of what he was talking about. So I wanted to uh, invite my wife on the show to talk about this because I just thought it was really interesting. So, so intuitive eating is, um, it, it's a program. It's something that has to do with eating. So my first impression is, oh, it's some sort of diet. But how is it similar or different from a diet? They don't have the same goal. Um, in dieting, the goal is to lose a certain amount of weight in a certain amount of time. But with intuitive eating, they're trying to solve your food issues once and for all. So you eat less naturally and thus you don't gain as much weight. It probably means that you'll lose weight if you start doing this, but you might not. If you are currently at your body's natural healthy weight, then you probably won't lose weight. But if you usually eat more than your body needs, you probably will lose weight. Oh, interesting. Okay. Dieting. How, how, okay, what's the main difference then between dieting and intuitive eating? Dieting is about force and if intuitive eating isn't, it's more about intuition. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> but instantly it's more appealing because it's less forceful. Do you have a preference? So you've done both. You've done dieting and you've done intuitive eating. Do you have a preference between the two? There are good things and bad things about both. With dieting, you can see immediate progress and you can reach your goal fairly quickly if you're consistent. But the more times you do it, the less effective it is as your body starts to resist. And it's harder because of all the restrictions. Yeah, or I mean, it's, it's just not very much fun to go on a diet, right? Yeah, you want to yeah, eat the things right. you want to eat. And so you constantly are feeling like you're being 
kind of like you're punishing yourself for some goal that you've set for yourself, but it has yeah. a very punishy feel about it. Definitely. Definitely. So, so then if so, intuitive eating isn't a diet, what, what is it? Let me just say to, to go more with what we were just talking about a second ago, intuitive eating is less stressful because it's less extreme, but it's also a slower process. It's a lifestyle change. It's not a quick fix. So it's a little bit frustrating when you first start doing it because you're used to the quick fix of dieting. You know, you, you do A, you get B, but it's also a long-term solution. So you don't have that sort of stop and go of losing weight, gaining weight, getting frustrated, starting again, things like that. It's, it's gone with the intuitive eating. So you're not going to want to use intuitive eating to lose enough weight to get into that dress for your high school reunion or something. (laughs) No. (laughs) So if it isn't a diet, then what is it? It's a lifestyle change. Instead of working against your natural tendencies, like you were talking about a minute ago, you sort of naturally fight against that resistance of dieting. So instead of working against the natural tendencies that you have, it teaches you how to work with them. You learn how to start listening to your body's natural hunger and fullness cues. So you don't need an outside source telling you what to do. If you generally eat more than your body needs, this will teach you how to change that. If you've been using food to cope, it draws attention to that to help you solve problems instead of coping with them with food. It encourages you to think of exercise and nutrition as ways to help yourself feel good. So you'll actually want to do them. If you've noticed, as soon as someone tries to force you to do something, you instantly resist and you're less willing to do it. Yeah, I think anyone who's ever gone on a diet, you somehow you almost instantly are like in front of the cupboard with a bag of potato chips, <laughs> curatively shoving <laughs> them into your face and you feel like you're, you know, it, it, but I think that that's this very common diety feeling. Like it pushes you almost into this fight or flight kind of, oh my gosh, I, now I'm, it, and it's so funny because it's all self-imposed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So then how does intuitive eating work? We all start out as intuitive eaters. Every toddler naturally eats intuitively. They eat as much or as little as they need, and then they stop. So often that concerns the parents when they're watching, oh no, my child just ate a little bit this meal. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to grow properly or, oh dear, they're eating too much. We better restrict their eating Uh, over time. Not all parents do that, but over time, often we learn how to ignore our body's signals and then it creates problems. So how does it actually work? Like what is the program for intuitive eating? What is the steps that you would have to take to implement it in your life? Okay. So the core principles, the first one is they, they want you to reject the diet mentality. They say dieting leads to deprivation. Deprivation leads to craving and craving leads to binging. So you have that, once again, we're talking about extremes. You're, you're uh, depriving yourself, then you, but you still have these cravings. You still resist. And so then eventually you break down. So they want you to just get rid of that thinking altogether. The second one is to honor your hunger pains. Don't ignore them. When your body signals it's hungry, you show respect for it by eating. 
If you allow yourself to become ravenous, then all intentions to eat moderately and consciously are out the window. (laughs) So they just want you to pay attention to what's already, what your body is already doing. The third one is to eat what you really want. This is a big part of intuitive eating, satisfaction. If you eat what you really want, you're more likely to get satisfied and you can more easily stop when you're full. Say you really want potato chips, but you feel too guilty to eat them. So instead you eat a plain baked potato, but that's not going to fill your craving. So you go eat another healthy food, Uh, but you still want the chips. So eventually you give in, you go and eat the chips and you eat way more than you usually, than you originally would have because. So in other words, like you end up eating several healthy food, quote, healthy foods. Yes. Then you end up eating the potato chips anyhow because <laughs> you never actually filled the craving that you had for the potato chips. Right. You weren't craving celery. You were craving the potato chips, but you, so they're just saying you can just avoid that altogether by eating the potato chips and being done with it. Do, do you know what? There's, there was a, this is just a humorous aside, but there was a study where they, they went and they asked people, they said, okay, which is, which is healthier for you to eat a, hamburger or to eat a hamburger, you know, in terms of losing weight, which is healthier for you, eating a hamburger or eating a hamburger with carrot sticks. Hmm. And lots and lots of people picked hamburger and carrot sticks. Mm -hmm. And so of course the media is making fun of these people that, well, obviously there's more calories in a hamburger plus carrot sticks than there is in just a hamburger. So if you want to lose weight, you should really just eat the hamburger if that's your only two options. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and and it is funny because it does, it does demonstrate that we think of food as healthy, not healthy. We have this kind of concept. Mm -hmm. So somehow the healthy food cancels the unhealthy, the hamburgers, (laughs) the unhealthy food, the carrots is the healthy food. So that cancels. So that's a neutral meal. Whereas a hamburger is a bad meal. Okay. Now here's the thing though, for all of them making fun of people like this, there's a little bit of truth to this because if you were to eat a hamburger plus carrots, you would have, first you would fulfill the craving for the hamburger, which is what, right. Why? I mean, you're going to, that's, you need to take care of that craving, get out of the way. Right. Secondly, you got a bunch of your calories now through carrots. Mm-hmm. So you don't end up with a hamburger sometimes later, you've fulfilled the craving. And so the, the thinking isn't great but it's not as bad as the media was making it out right, to be either right so well and i if you ate the, the carrots first you might get a little more full and not eat the whole hamburger exactly true. exactly there's kind <laughs> of a psychological game there to some degree right mm-hmm. and, and that's why nutritionists talk about healthy calories versus unhealthy calories mm-hmm. is not a very meaningful concept on its own. It's, it's supposed to be about trying to get enough calories that are healthy, that when you do allow yourself to f- fulfill your cravings for the, the quote, unhealthy calories, you, you just don't eat as much of it. This goes right into what we were just talking about. The next, the next point is don't moralize food and eating. So you don't think of chocolate cake as bad and celery as good. And you don't think of yourself as bad or good for the things that you eat. As soon as you Mm -hmm. stop making eating a moral choice, you remove the guilt and you're allowed to eat whatever you want. And when you're allowed, you suddenly no longer want it so desperately. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next one is feel your fullness. 
you stop halfway through your meal and note your fullness level. Are you still hungry? Are you starting to get full? Do you want to keep eating? If you do, go for it. Another very important part of intuitive eating is to never let yourself feel deprived. You want to be conscious of what you're eating and how you're eating so that you can fill the true need. Once your need is fulfilled, you no longer want to eat. You're satisfied and you're content. Then at the end of the meal, as you're starting to feel full, you remind yourself, I can always eat more later if I want. This is really important. You want to reassure yourself that your needs will always be met, that you can trust yourself to do that, and that will make it easier for you to quit when you're full. Interesting. Does, that almost implies that, that part of our eating, the way that we respond to food, has a little bit of a evolutionary panic about where the next meal is going to come from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then the last one is have as much of your favorite foods on hand as you'll want so that you won't feel deprived. So you're, you're really trying to fight against that feeling of de- deprivation that makes you feel so desperate. It makes you, you know, oh no, I'm going to, like you were saying, evolution, I, maybe I won't ever be able to eat again. Or in this case, I won't be able to eat this again. I better get it while I can. So we're just right. trying to get rid of that feeling. No, it's it. It's interesting here, though, that I've sometimes had the opposite experience. Like, if I'm the one who does the grocery shopping for myself or whatever, if I buy Twinkies and potato chips, which look really good in the store or whatever, and come home, then I'll end up eating those a lot. Whereas I I know if I can just sort of get out of the store and not buy those, I'll never really even think about them, or at least not very much. And so I end up just not eating those. So I've kind of used, I mean, this, this idea that you go ahead and have it on hand if it's a favorite food. It's interesting. I've, I feel like I've kind of done the opposite of that in some cases. And I feel like in some cases it's worked. Each time you think of one of those foods that you really love, you feel a little bit deprived. So even though it's not that is around, true. even though it's not around, you wish that you had it and you, and you feel guilty about having it. So you feel like you're being deprived of it. Then when you finally get access to it, you lunge for it. You give yourself permission, or I mean, giving yourself permission decreases your cravings naturally. It's interesting that you say that because I I guess I have seen that where like, I'll never buy potato chips so that I don't end up eating potato chips, but then like, I'll be at an office party and they have potato chips and you can't stop eating. And and I can't stop eating the potato (laughs) chips because they're now in front of me. That's a good point. (laughs) And, and that happens all the time. Luckily, it, it, you're not in that many circumstances where I, there was the place I work right now, um, back before the pandemic, it seemed like people came around with goodies, sharing goodies with each other a lot. And that actually started to become a problem because I, I've never dieted before. I've always been able to stay thin without too much effort. I there, there is some effort. And as I get older, there's more effort going into that. But my strategy isn't intuitive eating. It's I'm going to not buy the things that I'm going to accidentally gorge myself on. And it's, it's worked well enough. And I guess I should probably mention that, but then like you're at the office and people come around and they're trying to offer cookies. And I do find that I literally just can't stop myself. Right. It's you, you, you kind of mean to, well, I'll just have one, but because I've been forcing myself to not eat cookies or chips or, or whatever, for months, maybe, because I just 
don't buy them in the first place. You're saving up. I, I'm, I, I don't realize <laughs> I'm saving up, but, it, but in fact, I end up gorging myself on those things. Now, it's never really a huge problem as long as you're, you only are in that environment once in a while. But mm-hmm. I, I started to notice that at work, they were doing it too often. <laughs> <laughs> and I started to have some really, some weight gain from that. I was like, I don't get weight gain, but here I was getting it because I was unable to control myself. And again, I'm forcing myself, right? And it's still very undesirable. And just like Cameo was saying. So I guess I can see what you're saying. And even though that hasn't been my strategy and my strategy has quote worked at least for many years, I I do see see your point that because I am depriving myself, even if I mostly never realize I'm doing so, that circumstances come up where then I kind of lose control because- Mm because I was depriving myself (laughs) for too long from something I enjoy eating. Right. Okay. And then the last point is if you notice yourself eating when you're not hungry, you stop and ask yourself, oh, I'm not hungry. If I don't need food, what do I need to solve this hunger that I'm feeling? So they're trying to get you to uh, be aware of what need you actually have. This is actually pointing to a need that you do have. It's not hunger. It's not food. What is it? You, you know, it's interesting that you say that. I, I, I can't remember what the source on this is, but just recently I was just listening to podcasts and one of the podcasts mentioned this idea that we have this homeostasis or whatever it's called, where we're, we try to, we have, if we're not having a need fulfilled, like we feel bad for some reason, you know, you got chewed out at work or something like that, that you'll literally try to compensate by creating positive feelings through some other means, Mm -hmm. such as going home and eating a tub of ice cream or or Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And I never really thought about that before. And because you had talked with me about intuitive eating, it kind of jumped to mind when they Mm -hmm. they mentioned that. It hadn't really occurred to me that there are like other reasons to eat. There's many other reasons to eat. Or, Or other reasons people do eat. That people do eat. Yeah besides just eating or whatever. Yes. I think those are the same things that also push people into addiction. Um, yeah. You know, because, because when people are eating for comfort or to feel, to fill that need, that's, that's the same exact way people use drugs and alcohol is, is for comfort or to, you know, fill a hole within their, their emotional state at that point in time. Um, and food does have a very similar like physical reaction on, you can feel your endorphins be released when you're, you know, when you're feeling really nice and full and you're eating your very favorite thing that makes you feel all comforted and warm. Okay. So we, we talked about other reasons why people eat besides just the need to actually get nutrition into their body. What are reasons that people eat that have nothing to do with getting nutrition into their body? They eat when they're stressed or when they're feeling bad. They eat because they see something they like and it's there. Um, They eat because they're bored. They eat to reward themselves because they deserve it. I know that I I have to admit, I feel like I eat because I'm bored, especially during, during the pandemic. I find myself going to the refrigerator just to take a break from having to concentrate on work. 
luckily the refrigerator is full of some fairly low calorie foods, you know, little yogurts or something like that. Um, so I think that's why that hasn't translated into weight gain for me, but it seems like I do that all the time that I'm just bored with my job for the moment. I just went through a long meeting. I can't stand it anymore. So you're rewarding yourself because you deserve it. (laughs) So I go get up and I go to the refrigerator and I open it up and there's these yogurts. And I think, Oh, I'll have a, or string cheese or, you know, something that's really quick and easy. And, Oh, I'm going to have that. And, and then I end up kind of grazing all day long, just eating a little bit here and there. Should you not ever eat to reward yourself? Of course, you can re- eat for other reasons than hunger. This program is all about reasonableness, but it's also about consciousness and deliberateness. Their motto is, if you don't love it, don't eat it. If you do love it, savor it. So mm, if you're... I like that. If you're eating something for fun, then enjoy every minute of it. Because even if you're eating what you really love, if you're in a hurry or if you're not paying attention, then you're not getting the full enjoyment out of eating it. And that's why you're eating it in the first place. So stop what you're doing, sit down, close your eyes and revel in it. So well, that's interesting. I've so Jimmy John's, you know, we before the pandemic when I worked in the office, Jimmy John's was something we ordered regularly. And I actually really enjoy their sandwiches. You know, I've figured out the way to make them that I just really enjoy the flavor. But I don't think their cookies are very good, you know. So the cookies would always come and I'd always say, No, I don't I don't want a cookie. And I think the perception was I was on a diet and I wasn't eating the cookie, but I I eat cookies all the time. But I'm not going to spend my my caloric like options on a cookie that doesn't make me really happy. Yeah. Because I'd rather just save it for later when I can have a cookie that actually like makes me really, really happy. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. You're an intuitive eater right there. I'm I'm an intuitive eater. (laughs) Do you know, that's actually why I never order a soft drink uh, or rarely. Sometimes I like have an actual craving for a soft drink and I'll order 7-Up or something like that. But I feel like it's a really high sugary food that I don't get a ton of enjoyment out of. Right. Low value. Yeah. If, if I'm going to, you know, use my sugar budget, that's probably the wrong term for intuitive eating. But if I'm going to use my sugar budget. It's, it's going to be on, you know, a, a chocolate dipped cookie or cake or ice cream. Yeah, something, something that just really makes you happy, right? So can you tell us about your actual experience with the program? First, how long have you been doing this? I actually, once I, I listened to the book, actually not read it, read it, but um, once I listened to it, I actually discovered I have a lot of intuitive eating practices already built in. Like we were talking about, I don't order soda Uh when we go out to eat, or I think about, do I really want that cookie or would I rather have just the sandwich? So I did that already. So I've had some of the same experience with Bruce that um, it's been fairly easy to keep my weight off because I did things like that, but I didn't do it as much as I could. So maybe, maybe in the last year, I've been paying more attention to, you know, what, what I'm doing when an eating option comes up. So um, I, I really have liked it. It's very freeing. If, it feels compared to dieting, it feels so good to just eat whatever you want, you know, oh, I really want that. Oh, I can have it. Okay. And then 
I know that I can stop because I tried it. I ate till I didn't want it anymore. And then I quit and I was completely satisfied. I'm not faking it. I really was satisfied and I really didn't want to eat. <laughs> so it's wonderful actually. So I, I've always wondered about this because there are certain foods that if they're in front of me, I will like gorge myself, which is why I try not to have them around. And particularly, I mean, like we're using the potato chip example. If I start to eat potato chips, it's hard to stop. If you finally have to go like seal the bag or, <laughs> or something like that. So you've got incentive to, to stop. How, do, how does intuitive eating deal with that? That's got to be a fairly normal experience for most people. Um, you don't have to worry about portion size. You don't have to worry about calorie count because you automatically regulate your eating without effort. So I really like that about this program. In order to get to that point, though, you need to heal your food cravings. You need to get rid of this intense yearning that you have for some foods, like you were saying, your potato chips. Um, so what they do, they recommend that you make a list of your favorite foods, and then you focus on one at a time to heal your craving for that food. Focus in on one at a time, meaning like you intentionally eat the supposedly bad food that, that you enjoy. Yes to reduce craving for it. Yes, yes. So my number one favorite food was chocolate covered almonds. So I went and I bought a huge jar of them. I can testify that's her number one favorite food. I love chocolate period, but I love chocolate almonds even more. So every time I went and bought this huge jar, every time I was physically hungry, I would go and get my chocolate almonds. So I'm following intuitive eating like I'm supposed to. I waited till I was hungry to do it, but I would eat them first. I would, as soon as it was lunchtime or something, I would eat them first and I would just eat as, eat as fast as I could. And I barely even tasted them. And all I could think about was how much I wanted them. But slowly over time, my cravings started to calm. I wasn't as rushed and I didn't feel quite so anxious about eating them. I started to pay more attention to the taste. I eat for a minute and then I check in with myself and ask, do I want to keep eating these or am I done for now? And at first the answer was always, I want to keep eating these. And even when I started to want them less, I still kept eating because I'd felt deprived for so long. I just wanted to be able to do what I hadn't been able to do. But eventually things got less intense and when I'd check in with myself, I'd notice they weren't quite as peeling and I'd be able to put them away once I'd had enough for that meal. So then each time this happened, I felt a little less deprived and I ate a little less. And then I started noticing I'd rather have real food at the beginning of the meal and then have the chocolate almonds at the end. Then one day I picked up the jar, looked at the chocolate almonds and thought, oh, never mind. These don't appeal to me today. And that's the last time I ever ate a chocolate almond. <laughs> to this day, I still can't walk by them at the store without thinking, oh, no thanks. I think I went a little too far with that food. The other foods I've healed cravings for are still appealing to me. I still like them and I still eat them. I just don't have intense cravings for them anymore. I think the chocolate almonds were the big breakthrough for me. They were the first thing I used to heal my relationship with food. I think I'll always feel differently about them. Really, you know, that sort of strong aversion to them. 
But for everything else, every other food I worked on, it doesn't have that aversion. Now I just eat food and I enjoy it without that intense overreaction I used to have. I can tell you that um, she has complained to me a number of times that, oh, I hate the fact that I don't like chocolate almonds anymore. <laughs> I used to love them so much, you know, I don't like, it's worked too well. Yeah. So. <laughs> Not even variations like white chocolate almonds, or what about those um, sea salt chocolate almonds from Trader Joe's? If you had those, those are really good. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't. I still love chocolate and I still eat it and I still love chocolate with almonds in it like you know Hershey Kisses sure. with almonds or something but it's, so I don't have an aversion to to either thing but interesting just I just ate them and ate them and ate them and I loved them and it was so great and I don't love them anymore it's so fascinating to me I don't know that I have any food cravings as strong as what you're you're describing and, I've, and maybe because I've never really um restricted myself from from foods as a as a rule like I'm it's never been an approach that I've taken towards food so I maybe I've never built up that level of craving but I am really interested to try this you know there are a couple of things that I'm tempted to overeat or or find you know like monster cheese I just love monster cheese um and it's one of those things that I sometimes feel like I eat more than I should. And so I'm now I'm pretty interested to try this and with caution, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't overdo it. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> um, so now that you've, so I, I should mention that Jolene has, I mentioned Jolene's done dieting in the past. She was actually quite successful at it. I, I, I was surprised that she would have like a goal weight and she would like reach it really fast. She, she's been very successful with diets in the past. So what do you think of dieting now that you've experienced both? Like, do you, did it change the way you think of dieting? Do you see dieting as a negative now, or is, is it right for certain circumstances? I have had good experiences with dieting in the past. Um, about 12 years ago, I had a severe clinical depression and after medication and about a year and a half of counseling, I was in a really good place. And I had gained a lot of weight during that time, during that depression, coping with it, with food. So after I went through the, you know, I went on the medication and I went through the counseling, I felt really good. So I joined Jenny Craig and I lost 42 pounds in a few months and I've kept most of it off. I noticed that that's a good, that was the first time I had ever been on a real diet and I was really motivated and they, they cut you down to so few calories that it's very easy to lose. And, um, it I was, was, it was really, fast. It I was, was fast. really motivated because I saw progress so fast. So I kept going and it was really fun. It was, it was an actually a fun thing. Yeah. It, it actually did come across like it was fun. Yeah. And then you just see yourself shrinking. And anyway, it feels really good. Jenny Craig like coaches you like they get, they're like cheerleaders. They get so excited yes. for every improvement. And they make and, you feel so good. You want to spend all your time with them because they make you feel so good. And, and so it was actually, uh, it, it, it wasn't just that she lost weight and that was positive. It, it was a motivating, feel good experience from what I could see. Right. Which kept me going on it so that I succeeded at it. But um, 
I think the reason I've kept the weight off all of that time is, first of all, I'm not coping with those intense, painful feelings anymore with food. And second of all, I have those, I do have a lot of natural intuitive eating tendencies anyway. So a lot of times, according to a lot of research that you read, um, dieters just gain the weight back because it's a, it's so extreme that you just have to just, you know, react to it and stop as soon as you can, you just react and go back. You reached your goal weight. You can get in that dress for the high school reunion. Now I get to reward myself that I was successful. I was so good. I deserve it. Yeah. Then you get it all back. Right. You, you, you got it for one, you, you, two months of torturing yourself for one good night and then right. you're right back on to the way you were. Right. So dieting is not a good solution. It's a, it's a temporary thing. And I feel like if I hadn't had those natural tendencies um, and also if I hadn't gotten rid of the real issue that I probably would have gained the weight back. So over the years I've had, I've had a few times where I did sort of a little mini diet to lose like five pounds or something, but the more times you diet, the harder it is to lose the weight and your body is resisting and it doesn't want to let go. And it's hard. So finally you get to the point where you just think I'm never going to go on another diet. I just can't get myself to do that. And once you hit that point, it's the ideal place to decide to become an intuitive eater because you're willing to get rid of the diet mentality and you are eager to do something to maintain a good weight for the rest of your life that's easier and more comfortable and works. So I mentioned I've never really been on a diet. So I'm the wrong one to talk about this. My experience with dieting was actually watching my wife and it came across to me as a fairly positive experience. And that was why I kind of asked this question because I, 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 I wasn't sure that your message is that dieting is wrong or bad or something like that. Maybe repetitive dieting is, is bad. bad. Okay. All right. I'm just trying to get a nuanced view here. And, you know, I, I know that there's people who would probably disagree with that. I think that there are people who would say dieting is bad. It didn't seem like it was a super negative experience when I watched you do it, mm-hmm. right? It, mm-hmm. it seemed like it was a fairly positive experience. I'm just kind of trying to figure out where does dieting fit into the big scheme of things really? You know what? I should probably bring up that um, after I finished and I hit my goal weight, I quit going there every week and using their food. But once in a while, I would want to buy some of their food because it's really good. So I would just stop in and buy some food. I remember that. And it wasn't as fun. They, the people that used to work there weren't there anymore. Everybody was still really nice and welcoming, but I didn't feel like they were like, you know, my best friend and they would do anything for me. And I was so wonderful because, you know, I didn't feel that support anymore. So, so I think of a lot of it had to do with who I was working with, unfortunately. Oh, interesting. That kind of, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. It's, you got something out of the diet, but it may not have been specifically the diet. It may have been the support and the. It was probably everything together. I think it was everything Cam, you got any thoughts on on this part? I do because I'm I'm definitely an anti diet person. Um, you know, I and and it's interesting, like their focus on being able to eat whatever you want, because I you know I don't I don't think of the, what I eat as dieting, but I 
definitely target what I would consider healthier foods. I, you know, I, and I try and figure out combinations of healthier food that are very, very delicious because, because I, I kind of feel like our modern relationship with sugar is it's not natural to humans. Like we've never really been presented with it before. And so it's kind of an unusual thing that we maybe need to teach ourselves to deal with. Sugar, easily accessible sugar is not nat. It's not something that humans have ever really had to deal with or adapt to before. Right. Right. Um, You know, it's, it's not a natural state for people, um, you know, because it's, nature doesn't make sugar plentifully without without the artificial our ability to create artificial sugar essentially or to and because of some random societal things that happened you know the 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 rise of the sugar beet is a political thing that ended up resulting in sugar flooding american nutrition i mean it's it's this really interesting societal thing that's changed people's relationships with food you know and so my approach to the way i eat is is to try and learn to have a relationship with food that's not dependent on some of these artificially created things you know that because you ate something three or four or ten times i i just think that people have been taught a little bit by themselves to believe that they care about food that they don't necessarily wouldn't necessarily accept in the way that society has just flooded sugar on onto american food is really based on sugar humans are actually made to crave sugar but it's really rarely occurring at the level we have it at you know it's just it doesn't happen so i've just taught myself to find a lot of enjoyment in in things that are would be considered healthier so that I try and just eat a lot more of those as as just a matter of course and I don't think of it as dieting I just think of it as enjoying things that my body is more naturally um, adapted to to process uh, interesting I I should also mention I said I have never dieted that is not true now that I think about it I've never dieted for weight loss but I have had numerous times I've gone on special diets for, you know, health related reasons. In fact, you may remember the one where I used to do like a salad for lunch with chicken on the top and something like that. I had a certain diet I was trying to follow in hopes that it would help a certain health situation. And so I actually do remember that because you complained a lot about I did. it. <laughs> yes. And, and you know what? That's what I was going to say is that I can't remember any of the times that I've dieted, even though it was not for weight loss reasons, that I enjoyed it. It, it was something I wanted to get over as quickly as I can. The, the, the terrifying thing was, oh, wow, what if this like really works and then I have to follow this <laughs> diet forever? You yeah. know, <laughs> it was yeah. it wasn't really a sustainable circumstance. I, I tried a gluten free diet once. That was just awful. There, there, you know what, I, I think what I found from the gluten-free diet was that there is absolutely nothing in the universe that is similar to wheat, you know? <laughs> so, 
<laughs> well, and you know, when you just described this salad with with um, chicken on it for lunch, like I I had this yummy reaction in my mouth um, because one of my really favorite things is this particular salad that I've you know made for myself that has this great combinations of flavors that I just really delight in. Um, and I, I definitely had had yummy reaction, um, like my mouth was watering thinking about having a salad with chicken. You know, it was actually really good, like the first time and maybe even the second time. <laughs> well, but, uh, and you know, that's actually an interesting point because there's a, a part of eating both crucial to, for a lot of people to enjoyment. You know, we, we have a tendency to have things that we really like, but if you feed somebody the same thing, you know, and this is your, you with your chocolate covered almonds, if you only get the one thing all the time, you will ultimately just be so tired of having it. Right, um, right. Which is an interesting dynamic for us because we do have a tendency to both want things to be comfortable, but also just almost want infinite variety at the same time. Yes. You know, that's something that Jolene and I always kind of laugh about is we always end up going to like the same restaurants and ordering the same food. Now we, we do have variety. Like we've got several restaurants and each restaurant has a certain favorite dish, right? So we don't go to the same restaurant every single time. So that way we're getting variety that way. But there's, there's always this, you know, maybe I think I'm going to try something different at this particular restaurant, not the one food that really attracted me here in the first place. And I'm disappointed like 90% of the time when I do it. So it's really hard. To, <laughs> like, I know I went to this restaurant. We, we just went to this restaurant and I know the reason why I wanted to go here was because I particularly like the pulled pork here, you know, or something along those lines. And so it's almost hard to go against that. And yet you're right. If, if you went and you did that every single time, you just get sick. To the, in fact, if you, if you had to do it too much, you would lose interest in that food altogether which is apparently what intuitive eating uses to overcome food cravings is that you give it to yourself enough that you lose interest in craving it anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you do it while you're distracted, it takes longer to get tired of it. Bore, th that kind of bored habitual eating where you're eating responsively rather than eating and focusing on what you're eating and thinking about it. So if you're using it both as your crutch, but then being distracted about the way you're using it, Mm -hmm. there, there is something disappointing about eating a food you really like, but you're in a hurry or you're, you're doing it for a bad reason. You know, I, I really love milkshakes, but like you may, you can either stop and savor the milkshake and then you really enjoy it. Or you might like finish it because you were on the phone and you're like, wait, I, 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 missed, I missed it. I, I actually missed. <laughs> Where did it go? Right. <laughs> So, and there's something to that, this idea of savoring. In fact, Julian and I, we, we do something we call a Walmart date where we'll walk down to Walmart because we're fairly close and we'll buy a wrap or something there. Uh -huh. And then we'll like eat it on the way back. And it's, it's, if you were to eat the whole wrap, it would probably be quite a few calories, but we're splitting it between ourselves. So it's not too bad. And I'll like eat it kind of slowly on the way home, you know, we're walking home and I'm, I'm just trying to just enjoy it as, mm -hmm. as we go. And that actually seems to work because I usually I don't have any hunger cravings by the time I'm done where I might, if I'm, if I'm just paying attention to something else. Right. So it, it is interesting. There's, there seems to be a huge 
psychological element to all this. Mm-hmm. There really is. There is, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the slow food movement. No, no. I, I think I've heard the term, but I it's, don't really know what it is. It's, it's like a kind of more of a dining experience, but it's patterned off of both French and Italians, like really dragging out mealtimes. Mm-hmm. And so you go and you, you have essentially this two hour meal, but where you're not eating a whole ton of food, but you're really savoring the entire meal experience. And, you know, s- these small, almost tapas, small plate type of, but in kind of really stretched out over this long experience so that you're eating very slowly. Mm-hmm. Is, is that related to why they think French people don't have an obesity problem to the degree that Americans do. I, I guess I've heard that somewhere that here they, they eat these fattening foods, foods that we would consider quote bad for you. And yet they don't really have the same level of problem that we do. I have heard that same thing, but I, I, I don't have any, no data, no data to back. It, it may up. be a myth. <laughs> it may be a myth. <laughs> I will say that, you know, the, 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 that savoriness or that um that food that makes you kind of want to come back to it that makes you want to go back to a restaurant um I used to work for a great restaurant owner and and he said that the key to a restaurant success is having at least three things on a menu that have that response for people that make them that you wake up and say oh do you know where I want to go to dinner I want to go to that place and have that thing Mm -hmm. that if you don't create that desire in in somebody for your food it's very very difficult to ever have a successful restaurant no matter what else you do and how do you actually create that desire is it just a very you have carefully, to make good food yeah <laughs> there's actually an interesting point here which is um taste what we enjoy eating recipes are hard to vary right they're they're yes putting a little bit too much of one thing or a little too, too little, and it ruins the experience. Uh-huh. I was thinking about uh, waffle love. Do you like waffle love? We love waffle love here. Uh, I don't go to it very often, but at the times I've been, it's been delightful. So apparently, so you, like up on their wall, they have this story of how waffle love came to be. So it was some guy who I guess was local here, BYU or something. And I can't remember what it was. He, he lost his job. And so he decided to see if he could make his interest in cooking pay off. And so he started to make waffles and he, he apparently experimented for, for, I think it was years on his family until he found a recipe for waffles that they kept starting to demand. Oh, I, I want that one. I want that recipe for waffles. Hmm. And he says that it took him years to find the right combination and then when his family member, extended family members were starting to say, you've got, you've got to get this for me. You've got to do it that for me again. That was when he realized, okay, I've got something here. I found the secret recipe that is going to cause people to keep craving and coming back for this. So I, I've always thought that was very interesting is that that's a concept from the um, David Deutsch. Popper never called it hard to bury. He, had, he called it improbable. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, hard to just find by chance. Mm-hmm. But uh, this concept of hard to variness applies to food and recipes, mm-hmm. even though it's a purely um, parochial thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's no objectively better food 
but there is foods that you actually do enjoy more, but only if you can mix it with variety. Oh, so, yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Is this for everyone? I'm, I'm going to try it. I, but is this uh, something everyone should be using? They do mention in the book that there are, there are um, some cases where you shouldn't do it yet, so to speak, where you need to do some preliminary work first. So like one of those would be if you had an eating disorder where you had a, a body image issue and you can't see that your 90 pound body isn't healthy and isn't well. So you wouldn't be able to uh, rely on your natural instincts in that way, instincts in that way. Um, because you've overridden them at that you've point. overridden them yes so you would need to work with a therapist or a nutritionist or something first to get that resolved so that then you can start listening to your body again and another case would be um, if you starve yourself enough your body actually turns off its hunger pains so you can't wait for them to tell you to go eat because they turn off so you would need to again work with somebody um, until your body starts producing them again, and then you could do intuitive eating. Because your intuitive eating relies on those signals in the body. It's basically built on the idea that the signals are generally correct, yes. right? Maybe more so than if we're trying to intentionally coerce ourselves into some sort of specific diet. Right, that, right. That what you're craving is actually, your body does a fairly good job of telling you what it is you should be eating. But if you're if you've got some sort of psychological health issue those signals are no longer reliable they, mm -hmm. they're, they're now problematic right so right. okay that makes sense mm -hmm. all right well thank you for coming sure thanks for having me and uh thank you cameo and we'll see you in two weeks the theory of anything podcast could use your help we have a small but loyal audience and we'd like to get the word out about the podcast to others so others can enjoy it as well to the best of our knowledge, we're the only podcast that covers all four strands of David Deutsch's philosophy, as well as other interesting subjects. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This can usually be done right inside your podcast player, or you can Google the Theory of Anything podcast Apple or something like that. Some players have their own rating system, and giving us a five-star rating on any rating system would be helpful. If you enjoy a particular episode, please consider tweeting about us or linking to us on Facebook or other social media to help get the word out. If you are interested in financially supporting the podcast, we have two ways to do that. The first is via our podcast host site, Anchor. Just go to anchor.fm slash four dash strands, F-O-U-R dash S-T-R-A-N-D-S. There's a support button available that allows you to do reoccurring donations. If you want to make a one-time donation, go to our blog, which is fourstrands.org. There is a donation button there that uses PayPal. Thank you.